podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning. Welcome back to the podcast. Boss man. Hey, man. How are you doing? How are you doing? Pretty, pretty good. What about you? Pretty good. Today's episode, I'm excited because today we're doing a Q&A episode. I love it when the listeners write in. They say, hey, we want to hear from you guys. And I'm like, really? Really? You want to hear from us? Yes. We have uh, some wonderful questions regarding business entrepreneurial runway. We have a question about freelance versus employees, and we're also going to talk about one of our favorite topics, skin in the game and advice giving on the web, how you can navigate business advice to put it to work for your business. Before we jump into all that, boss man, I wanted to give a a really cool update over at Dynamite Jobs. We launched a new product called Business Pro, which is $100 a month for unlimited part-time and full-time job posts along with support from our team. I think we're really freaking good at helping people hire. And so far we have 10 members in our first week of putting that live. So I think that's really, really cool. I think uh, in the SaaS world, you'd call that a thousand (laughs) KMRR. It's been pretty cool. We have a bunch of new product coming down the line today. We were on the phone for a few hours discussing a service provider product, which is essentially for productized services, for freelancers, for people that are basically hiring alternatives. You know, sometimes you go to say, well, I need someone part-time to do this kind of work in my company. And then you see a service that does it and you're like, bam, I'll take the service. So we feel like presenting listeners of this show as legitimate alternatives to hiring is going to be one of our projects as well as a product for our candidates. So something that's been truly amazing over at Dynamite Jobs is the rate at which people are filling out detailed profiles. If you look at the profiles, they look similar to LinkedIn, but we've brought some basically a, a different approach than than what most profile sites do. We have nearly 2,000 people signed up for our platform right now. We're also going to be creating a more in-depth product for those candidates to help them get jobs with companies like the listeners of this podcast run. So that's been exciting over at uh, Dynamite Jobs. I got to mention like one DC update here at the top while we're I'm feeling more optimistic that we're going to be able to have an event next year. Gosh, I hope so. With the news of the vaccines coming out, the fact that the vaccine producers have been going ahead and producing the batches before the trials were finished, what that means is that a lot of the challenges that we're facing right now are simply ones of distribution and implementation of the vaccines. I am really confident at this moment, and we'll take a snapshot, that DCBKK 2021 is going to happen. And I think it's going to be really amazing outpouring of like, everybody's so excited to be there. And I'll be the number one person that's excited to be there. So yeah, I'm really optimistic that next fall, we're going to be able to party down. Yeah, we're basically, I mean, it feels like we've been in a holding pattern here forever. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, I want so bad to announce DCBKK 2021, but I feel like it, the responsible thing again is just to wait and make sure that everybody can like leave their country and get into other countries and things like that. Wait yeah. until it's kind of like a done deal. Like you, Dan, I'm very optimistic because I have to be because 
you know, it's like you, you got to have something to look forward to. Gosh, I haven't <laughs> haven't been able to look forward to an event in over a year now. So, yeah, agreed. So, Ian, let's get into today's questions. These come through our emails, our voicemail. Get emailed to producer Jane, Jane at tropicalmba.com. We got uh, three prompts here today. The first is from Max. Hey, guys, love the podcast. Have listened off and on for a couple of years as I've been working in the corporate world. I currently feel in a position where I'm comfortable enough to quit my job and start a location-independent business. One of the major considerations right now is trying to determine how much money I will need until I would expect any sort of income. For some additional information or context, my background is in software development. Would seriously appreciate the advice. Thank you for your incredible content you put out, Max. It is our pleasure, and we have a lot of thoughts about this. And In order to frame this whole conversation about runway and when you should quit your job and stuff, there was recently an article that went viral on Reddit and on Indie Hackers called After Losing $38,676 as an Indie Hacker, I Can't Do It Anymore, I Quit. Very clever headline. And so this is sort of the message from the future. I had around $12,000 in savings, enough to cover a year of expenses and a bit more. I stopped spending money on almost everything. Basically, he goes on to say, I thought I could you know, get a few clients. It would be no big deal. Well, I'm broke now. I hate the projects I created. I hate that I spent all my money and that I didn't make a dollar. So the real cost is more than the money I lost. He goes on to write, I made my girlfriend stay at home for a year. We didn't do anything. We didn't buy clothes and eat the cheapest food. I feel that I have lost a year of my life. So I quit is what this particular indie hacker said. I basically burned through my runway in a year. This article, Ian, went viral. So I want to use this in the the context of discussing how Max and people like Max might not end up in the situation where you really regret this jump off into the entrepreneurial world. We both read this article and I think it angered you a lot more than it angered me. Like I would say, oh yeah, I don't know if your emotion was anger, but I was definitely sensing a little anger from you. Why is that? Uh, okay. So there's a bunch of things, but I think the overall feeling that I got is on the one hand, I felt I understood partially where this person's coming from. It's disappointing. They had a really tough year. They burnt through all their savings. Yeah, that's a bummer, but it's also kind of loser talk. And that's the part that got me a little angered. One of the commenters that I pulled out said, entrepreneurship is about risk management, not merely risk taking. You know, he goes on to say later in his post that every time I wanted to promote something, my stomach hurts. If I share an article on Reddit, I feel anxious for a week. Uh, He goes on to say, basically promoting his product made him sick. He didn't like the critiquing. And I wrote as a response to this, you know, it's a little bit of kind of complaining in retrospect, like, oh, I put it all on the line for this sort of thing. And I just thought, man, you have to have a sales infrastructure. There is this kind of fantasy in the maker world that you can just make something and put it out there and that you don't really have to do anything all that difficult. You just have to check boxes. Like I have to have enough runway and then I have to quit my job and I have to spend all my time making cool shit. And then eventually like, just as easily as I applied for a job, like I'm going to have a business. 
And that's not typically how it goes. And so first off, I think it's worth making a distinction between personal runway and business runway or burn rate. Really what we want to talk about is not how many months you can live in Thailand based on how much money is in your bank account. I mean, I get that that's a cool factor to understand. That's your personal runway. But we're really talking about a sabbatical there. A business runway, or otherwise your burn rate, is basically if you kept your current sales and expenses as they are, how long would your business you know, exist before it went out of business? And this is really how I would want to be thinking about things. You know, Even if what your business is, is you're a freelancer and you move to Thailand with a remote work contract or a few clients or whatever, so long as you're able to cover your not and not dig back into your personal runway, that's actually where I would like start this whole conversation. Unless you really know why you're digging into your savings, it's sort of a fundamental personal financial violation to dig into your personal safety net in order to do something that you have no idea of the outcome. So I would want to hedge that risk personally. You'd want to hedge that risk, but I mean, you know, at the same time, Dan, we're doing a little bit of that right now. And I think part of that is just like, it's calculating risk. So it's understanding how long you can do that for. It's understanding what kind of impact it's actually going to have on your life, but then also having a bit of a vision. You know, some of the best made for movie entrepreneurial stories involve people basically hitting rock bottom or digging deep in debt or you know, sitting in their parents' basement for three years before they hit their thousand days. That makes for a good story, but not necessarily a good strategy. Sure. Would you risk going broke in order to do this stuff? No. Like I think you would like in our case we have the luxury of a little bit of savings that isn't like the fundamental like we're gonna go down to zero. Let me just share a little word with you that I think changes this proposition. It's validation. So for me, like reading this story, like I wonder how this person burned through $36,000 not validating their idea. So, you know, I think that's the curious part about this story so far to me as we dig into it is like, yeah, nothing is guaranteed. Okay. The universe doesn't owe you anything. Like you went out on a limb here for a year. What can you learn in month one that will help you to pivot in month two, three, four, five, six? If you just do the same thing month one through month 12, and you're not getting validation, you're not getting feedback, you're not getting revenue, you're not getting customers, you're not acquiring users, whatever it might be, your form of validation, and it better be one that's worth some money in the future. But what kind of validation are you getting on your ideas? Take it a step further. The only validation that matters if you're in a position where you're looking at risking your personal runway. I wouldn't risk that without customers, clients, or employment. I simply would not. I would risk money beyond my runway in order to start another business. But if I have $6,000 in the bank, $12,000 in the bank, I'm not moving to Thailand and saying, great, I can live here for six months. And I know I've said that a lot on the show, so I want to be clear about how I would handle it. This is about risk management, not risk taking. I would say, okay, I've got $10,000 in my bank account. I can live in Thailand for six months off of that $10,000. That's amazing. That's a backup plan. Now it costs me $2,500 a month or $2,000 a month to live in Thailand or in Omaha. What I'm going to do is get a client 
or a first customer or a group of customers that pays me that $2,000 a month. Yes. I'm not just going to go and like burn for something and like race to, you know, the six month cement wall of ruin. What I'm going to do is layer insurance policies that free me up emotionally to take the risks that I want to take. And again, when I think about validation, the only validation that matters to me is money coming into my bank account through an employer, through a client, or through a customer. I suppose you could also add investor to that category. I would feel comfortable with that as well. And so do one of those four things. And we're not speaking with Max. We're we're talking about this viral article. This situation just simply wouldn't have happened. It relates to everything we talk about on the show, including the stair-step approach, which is like, for your first thing, this idea that you're going to like shut the door on your corporate career and then go into a woodshed without validation and without multiple layers of security there is simply not how I have and how I would approach it. So just a few TMBA mindset imperatives. I'll list them off to you, boss man, and get your responses on them. First off, don't attend entrepreneurship or go do entrepreneurship like you would go attend night school, okay? This isn't like a checklist that you follow off, like build up runway, quit a job, go build something in a woodshed, have customers. That's not really how it works. There's no one in the universe waiting around to like give you the designation that you're an entrepreneur now because you checked off boxes. You're an entrepreneur when you start selling things to people that you own. If entrepreneurship was simple, we couldn't do this podcast for 10 years. <laughs> it would just be an open and closed book. We'd do like 10 episodes and it'd be like, that's it. To your point, you know, entrepreneur not being night school, I, I think I want to just reinforce the idea too that the universe, unfortunately, does not owe you anything. So this idea that you're going to like shut down your life and like eat ramen and make your girlfriend like miserable for a year, like that just might be what happens is everybody's miserable because your product did not resonate with people. You did not pivot. And now this is your, your reality. Well, that suggests to me too. I mean, we can talk about the value of supportive partners. Maybe we'll put that off for another episode. But like, maybe this kind of idea that you've been being in a corporate career for five years and now you're going to shut the door and like do something completely different, it's too big of a value shift. There's not enough hedging along the way because this is a long-term process. So one of the points we wrote down, Ian, is... What is your reason for being an entrepreneur? It has to have a value outside of money incomes because it is a journey. There has to be an element of creation, of freedom, of different sorts of relationships you can have that maybe aren't the check the box sort of relationships. Now you're getting in a little bit deeper with people. There's more opportunities with people you meet because you have the flexibility and agency of entrepreneurship. And it's one of the things I always dig into, Ian, when people are making a big switch like this. It's like, well, why won't your employer give you a remote work agreement? Or why can't you cut a deal that did de-risk this? Or why are you in a situation where the, like, things are so abrupt? Again, I, I wouldn't treat entrepreneurship like people treat a sabbatical. Because the sabbatical idea is like, okay, I, I teach for a living. I got enough savings. I'm going to shut it down. and I'm going to go like explore something you know, with less stress and with less, more freedom. That's not really how I'd explore entrepreneurship, honestly. Like, I would get a better job. I would get a remote work agreement. I would get a freelance client that's highly leveraged. There's like a bunch of things you can do to explore entrepreneurship that's not like burning savings sitting in a woodshed somewhere. So, like, more engagement in the direction you want to go rather than 
less engagement. And this is a theme we talk about all the, all the, all the time. If you feel like you got to save money, siphon off money from your job and shut it down and then go build something for six months, I don't think that's a good strategy. Selling yourself to a company to pay you maybe less money than you're worth to work part-time from remote gig is way, way easier than finding product market fit. So why don't you just do that, especially if you're a software developer? Say, hey, I'll work X number of hours a week. You're going to cover my nut. And like I've reduced my expenses because that's what entrepreneurs do. I have a low burn rate. I'm going to do this work for you very well. I'm going to get paid for it and de-risk my long-term entrepreneurial journey. Everyone out there that is serious about productivity, and I know there's a lot of you, you're going to love this one. Today's episode is sponsored by Woven.com. Woven is an all-in-one calendar that helps you manage and blend both your work and personal lives, enabling you to spend time on what matters the most. Yeah, squeezing the most productivity out of your hours. With Woven, you can sync all of your calendars in one place, including Google Suite integration as well as Microsoft integration. You can create and use scheduling links from directly within your calendar, so no need for third-party scheduling apps. You can rapidly time block your week using smart templates. And the best part is you can track your time and gain insights into your week with built-in analytics. Woven makes it easy to plan, join, and manage video events, helping you schedule with Zoom or Google Hangouts. With multiple time zone integrations, Woven is ideal for remote workers and productivity hackers. They also have apps across iOS, web, iPad, and Microsoft. In fact, I learned today that many podcasters actually use Woven for handling the guest booking and recording parts of their shows. So in short, Woven is like a calendar for power users and those who are serious about their productivity, allowing you both to schedule time with others and protect that productive maker time for yourself, all while giving you analytics about it all. Very cool stuff. Check them out over at woven.com. And a huge thanks to the folks at Woven for sponsoring the show. One of the most curious things that came up for me answering this question of why being an entrepreneur, it was actually just in the first sentence of what this guy, uh, Jose, wrote, which was, around a year ago, I left my job as a developer advocate to bootstrap a company. And then it goes on to say, like, I had around 12K in savings, enough to cover one year of expenses. But right there, that's the one sentence that I want to know more about, which is, why did you leave your job? as a developer to bootstrap a company because there's a lot to unpack there. Again, like I think that the number one reason for being an entrepreneur for people is different. For me is because I hated the culture, I hated the environment of a job, I hated having to go somewhere every day. I hated the fact that I couldn't control my income and my time, all those things. I don't think that this person writing that article had the same hate 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 that I had for a job. And so it probably wasn't that painful again to walk away and come back to that job. And I think that there has to be a, a deep, deep, deep level of pain for a lot of people to go into entrepreneurship because you, you're basically, your back is up against the wall. Well, in the short term, how this has worked out for Jose, at least, my observation is that this article went viral. He decided that he likes this sort of interaction in the world. And so now he's going to become a writer talking about you know the failure that he experienced and building an audience that way and getting people to buy his products that way. The informative thing here is like, 
you know, he wasn't building things that he wanted to be interactive about. He didn't want to interact with his job. He wanted to quit it. He didn't want to get a client. He wanted to go to the woodshed, you know, and now all of a sudden he's starting to interact with the world and seeing that, oh my gosh, like this is a way forward. Like I have to understand how value flows in order to do that. I have to interact with other people in the early days. The interaction is important as your business and asset value increases. You can get further and further away from that if you choose. Again, this maker fantasy that you're just going to make something, put it out in the world, and it's just going to cash checks for you is possible, but it's a dangerous one. I would de-risk your journey by not falling into that trap. Again, you must have a sales infrastructure. A few other things. Persistence. Often that term is used with the sense that time is the only input in persistence, i.e., you know, maybe you could say Jose didn't persist long enough. Maybe you should have persisted for two or, or three years. And that's probably true, but ultimately you have to take responsibility for the result. So saving money, deciding how long that money is going to last you, those two things are relatively easy. And then going and spending a year on, quote, entrepreneurship, building things, that's easy too. All those things are easy. So we haven't really done anything hard here. Why are people going to pay you to do things that are easy? This is all for you. The real question is, what have you done for the world? That's ultimately when you're going to get compensated as an entrepreneur. And when people talk about persistence, our point is, is that it's not merely a function of time. You have to persist in being responsible for the result. And that's what's hard. And it's about the journey. I mean, some years are going to suck. Some years are going to be great. That's one of the things about being an entrepreneur is you kind of have to be okay with these like large swings. So this is a complex way of answering Max's question, which is originally, how much runway do I need? So Max has got a background in software development. My response, Max, would be, I believe that it's great to have six months of living expenses in your personal bank account. If you can do that, you should do that. But my answer to the runway question is that it's not the, of primary concern. The primary concern is your cash flow and that I would not quit a job unless my expenses were covered by clients, remote work, customers, or investors. And it's frankly, not that hard to do, especially if you're a software developer. And if especially is what you want is to build a business that has product market fit, that has employees, that has hundreds, if not thousands of customers, what is easier than that is convincing one, two, three, four people to pay you for a leverage remote deal, to prepay for the product you're building, to pay you for client work, or to invest in your business. Those four things that I just laid out there, they're easier than what you, you're aiming to do. So if you can't solve the first challenge of covering minimized expenses, that's a bad, bad sign for the ultimate goal. This is a way to de-risk the situation, Ian, because the skill sets are exactly aligned. Like figuring out how to cover a basic monthly nut in a leveraged way such that you can do multiple things is exactly the skill set that it takes to build a business. I just wouldn't recommend going down and burning through runway. I've seen it go wrong a bunch of times. I've seen Jose's story a bunch of times. 
he was simply, simply too early in the entrepreneurial journey to risk his savings on a product that had no validation. I agree. All right, we got a question from Sam Ian regarding freelancers versus employees. Hope you guys have been well. Since we've last spoke, the podcasting as a service business has come along nicely. I'm now earning a comfortable income from one hour a week. The question Sam asks is whether now he needs to officially hire a person or people to do the producer role he's currently executing himself, having outsourced audio editing or whether I can work with people on a freelance basis. My thoughts, freelance would be easier to administer, just pay people well for good work and greater flexibility on both parties. Whereas an employee, you would have a more commitment, and so you wouldn't then risk compromising your brand. Someone who basically wears the t-shirt, so to speak. My feeling is that because the work they'll be doing is well-defined and documented, i.e. easy for new freelancers to take over, even if they are more likely to leave than an employee, then sticking with freelancers is the way to go. That said, maybe I'm missing some inherent or implicit values that comes with having people as a quote, official employee, Sam. So the first thing that jumps out at me here, Ian, and something we've noticed in our businesses is... Is it really the case that a freelancer is more likely to leave you than an employee? I don't think so. I don't think so either. And sometimes like because a lot of employees are basically hired for positions that aren't well-defined and that tend to change often, that often those duties or responsibilities might not match up to what their expectations are. And so there can often be higher employee churn in a lot of online businesses. And again, this is from our experience at DJ as well as our own company. Then for freelancer positions where it's like, hey, in the case of uh, Sam's business, he needs a professional producer, someone that loves producing shows, someone that focuses a lot of energy on it. What if you just pay them well for that little bit of work? It's one of those leveraged freelance remote work agreements we talked about at the top of the show. It's a win-win for everybody. You don't have to take on the burden of what might be payroll taxes, taxation, healthcare costs, the added expenses of not only the real regulatory expenses of having an employee, but also the emotional burden of providing a full career to somebody. Rather, you are providing them a leveraged source of income to do what they love. And so in that case, we might challenge the assumption that employees actually stick around longer than freelancers. It depends on how you think of freelancers and part-time work in your business. You know, One of the observations that you pointed out to me a few weeks ago, Ian, was that what we're seeing with full-time hiring sweepstakes or contests on dynamite jobs. In other words, we call them sweepstakes when you put up a job post. And companies that are doing that, they sort of expect to bring in people who have, yes, relevant skills, but it's more of like an attitude, like a personality thing, because they do expect that person to evolve over time. Whereas with freelance, it's like very specific, like I want this skill, you come in, you do the work. What's more consistent, you know? Well, moving it back a couple steps, I think you got to ask yourself the question about incentives. Where are the incentives for both parties? What's the benefit for the company? And then what's the benefit for the employee or the freelancer? From there, I move on to like definition. So 
it seems like Sam has a lot of definition around his role. So you don't necessarily need somebody that's thinking about this on the weekends or what we call like their shower time. Like they don't need to be necessarily innovating on this process. They just need to be going in and executing. So, you know, going back to like incentives, if I'm Sam, I'm posting this opportunity. And the incentive for Sam is that he doesn't have to do this himself and that he can pay a decent wage for somebody to do this. And then all of a sudden, maybe he's doing business development and he's not working on this at all. So he can go out and do the only thing that he can do in his business, which is grow the business. I don't think you can really rely on an employee or a freelancer to do that. Sam, you got to go out and do that. So this frees you up to do that. So your incentive is pretty high. The incentive for the freelancer, who knows? So they might be somebody that's just getting off into their work from anywhere, work from home kind of leap, right? This allows them to have a different life. I mean, completely different life. So that seems like an amazing thing. If you're finding somebody at that apex, like, hey, I'm going to pay you 1500 bucks a month. You're going to execute on this process. That's all I need right now to get into this new work from anywhere movement. Right there, I mean, Sam's incentive and the freelancer's incentives are both very high. I mean, the upside for both individuals in that situation are very high, life-changing almost. So I think, honestly, Dan, it's just kind of on a, like a case-by-case basis. You know, in Sam's situation, it's like the work seems clearly defined. That seems like it would be good work for a freelancer unless you had enough of it for it to be full-time. And then I guess you could bring on an employee. Yeah. That's one of the perspectives I've had, Sam, over the last five years that has really changed in my mind and my thinking. I'm long freelancers and expanding our definition of what they are and what they can bring to the table. One of the things I wouldn't be so quick to think is that they couldn't innovate maybe better than an employee because employees tend to sit in the middle of a lot of functional processes and it can be difficult for them to have this focused improvement. Whereas you could imagine with something like your freelancers that are focused on one specific area of your business, well, why couldn't they be incentivized to improve that? I think there's a lot of ways that if you broaden your mind about what a freelancer or a part-time specialist does in a business, and really part-time professional specialists is a growing opportunity for us. You bring someone in for a part-time role for something very specific, I don't think there's any reason why you can't incentivize them to grow to create incentives for them to do so and for it to be a win-win for everybody. Amazing opportunity for online business owners. Finally, Ian, we have a prompt here from a listener to check out a a tweet from Jordan O'Connor who wrote that learning on the internet is hard because some people are are authors who talk about implementing, and others are implementers that end up being authors. You want to find the implementers who end up being authors. They're tough to find, but they usually have a history. Over here at the TMBA pod, we've called this practitioning preachers, or your practitioner to preach ratio needs to be good. Your thoughts on the skin in the game principle, a classic TMBA theme? Well, I'm trying to always be careful about it. You know, like honestly, my honest feeling is that I'm listening to this podcast as we're talking about it. And I'm trying to make sure that these are things that we've actually implemented. Trying to think like back to businesses that we've run and started and making sure that we actually did the things that we're talking about now. And I do that a lot when we do this podcast. 
I think if you ask me tomorrow, would I rather be a practitioner or a preacher? I'd rather be a practitioner. It just so happens that uh, like talking about this stuff and that it's brought into our circle a lot of interesting people. You know, if you look back at the reason why we started doing this in the first place, Dan, is because we were lonely and we had a feeling that other people out there were lonely too. And it brought a lot of practitioners together. And that's basically what the DC Dynamite Circle is comprised of. So, I think it's very tough. I think the person writing this tweet is right to say, like, you have to look into the person's past to figure out where they're coming from to understand whether or not you should be reading practical information from them. I think this kind of circles back to the very first question here, Ian, we had today where, you know, if I look at how Jose has responded to his big failure, he's turned it into a writing career talking about failures. And often people on the internet are talking about the things that they need to hear right then at that moment. And that's understandable. The real action here is like the nexus of your personal responsibility. If you're in the mode where you're going to listen to people online or buy SEO coaching, and if you're credulous enough to think that that actually information holds the key to the reality that you're seeking, you know, I think you're going to be in for a rude awakening. And that's why there's always like an implied answer to advice, you know, or to a message. And ours has always been like, meet the people in our community. Once you talk to the people and join a mastermind or whatever it is, you're going to be able to decide for yourself and ask the questions for yourself directly to the person. Hey, Ian, is that thing you said true? How much money are you actually making from that? What's going on here? Like that's my final answer is like that you have to get build real relationships with the real people. You know, if you're building relationships with information or checklists or to-do lists, which I think is a little bit of the theme we talked about in the first question about runway, which is this idea of like approaching entrepreneurship as if it were going to night school. You go to so many classes, you follow the process and boom, you got a business. That's not how it's worked out for us. That's not how we see it work out very often. So yeah, I agree with the theme, I think it's something we could talk about and we have talked about endlessly over the years is this idea that information is an abstraction of reality and what entrepreneurial persistence is about to get to the theme of this episode is about being responsible for your own reality and understanding it in a way that very few others do. That's entrepreneurship. It's not following a guideline from some expert online. Go meet the expert. See what they're all about. Word. We appreciate your questions. We get them from our emails, Dan and Ian at tropicalmba.com. Our producer's email is jane at tropicalmba.com. And you can drop us a voicemail as always. You can email it to us or check it out at tropicalmba.com slash voicemail. Boss man, we got a lot of work to get done today. That's it for this week. We appreciate you listening to the show. And we want to give a big shout out to this week's sponsor, Woven. Dot com. That's it. We'll be back next Thursday morning, Eastern time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.